Welcome back to The Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's gorgeous episode is with my good friend, Dr. Eric Goodman. Dr. Eric Goodman is the founder of Foundation Training, and he has been an asset to the world's greatest athletes, particularly in the world of surfing and MMA, jiu-jitsu, spaces of the sort, uh, but really across the board. Lance Armstrong did the forward for his book, Foundation Training. Uh, in helping them support the function and health of their spines and their whole bodies. So this conversation, we tap into the endocannabinoid system in the body. We touch on pain, meaning of pain, different types of pain, how to address it with yourself, friends, family, and just a lot of really amazing topics. I really appreciate Dr. Eric sharing his insights with us here today, and I think you guys are going to dig it. And in case you hadn't heard already on Instagram or YouTube or any of the places, I want to make sure you know about the brand new Align community. I'm extremely excited about this and want you to be a part of it. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while and are interested in implementing more of what you're learning into your daily life so you can reap the benefits and increase things like your strength, flexibility, vitality, and longevity, then come join us in the Align community. It is absolutely free to join and was designed as a space for us to gather and share ideas, ask questions, get feedback, receive accountability and support, and much more. Plus, I'll be sharing exclusive content from the podcast guests that won't be on the podcast episode. You'll hear that at the end of this conversation. I'm asking specific questions to the guests that only folks in this free online community will be able to see. And we'll have a lot more content in there as well, as well as challenges. And I'll be popping in and we can be really like bouncing questions off of each other and uh, creating an open line of communication is the intention of it. So just go to alignpodcast.com slash community to join. Again, that's alignpodcast.com slash community. And all the info you need will be on that page. I am so looking forward to seeing you guys inside. That's it. That's all. Let's get back to it with my guy, Dr. Eric Goodman. Eric Goodman, thank you for making time to to do this. You just showed me some foundation, some, some, what did we, what did we just go through in the gym? Uh, so the first thing we went through, we did like a 10 minute instructional, which was like the fundamentals of anchoring and decompression. That's the two principles that the two things that really make up everything in foundation training are anchoring the pelvis and the muscles that connect to it. And then decompressing the torso away from that, that anchoring tension. So we went through that and then we did a few of the more advanced positions. You move really well, so it's easy to just take, kind of take you through these positions. So we went into gorilla lifts and windmills, which are much more like on the performance side of foundation training. Mm. So there's kind of a, the vast majority of the population that uses our work is, is chronic pain patients. So the first thing we did was for that group. The second thing we did is like, once you graduate and you understand how your body moves and how to, how to really stay in line with the right healthy movement patterns so that you avoid the ones that typically take people down, you can then move on to the, the stuff I showed you after. What do you see in modern culture that are some, some like low-hanging fruit, uh, like movement-based low low-hanging movement fruit, where if people just, everybody started doing this thing a little bit different, the whole world would be a happier place and we'd be investing. I mean, the easiest answer is obviously technology, but it's not like, it's not like before cell phones, everybody was walking around with perfect posture. Mm-hmm. And you can take it back to books. Books put you in the same posture as a cell phone. And usually people read books sitting on their backs curled up. So I don't really buy into the idea that like, if you use this technology all the time, you have to change it. What everybody needs to do is they need to take two minutes out of their day 
to focus on their posture. Five minutes if they really want to, 10 minutes if they're serious about it. That's like how long it takes. You have to remind your nervous system of, of its space in which it exists because it doesn't know. It propriocepts, like it senses itself based on what it's used to feeling. So if you're only in those convergent positions, it's going to be really hard to do anything differently, even if you hold your cell phone up here. You know what I mean? Even if you sit perfectly, even if you use the standing desk and that's just what you use. So instead of like, how do you do it differently? It's add five minutes, focus really intently on where your eyes are focusing, how you're pulling your head away from that, where you're breathing, where your feet are hitting the floor, or if you're sitting, where your hips are sitting are hitting the seat. Where is your belly hitting your hips? Each of these little things is like a focus point. And that's what people need to do is just learn how to focus a little. You know, it's not do everything in your life different. You're never going to win that battle. And it's almost arrogant and antagonistic. Uh, do that better. No, no, no. Hang on. Take a minute. Boom, boom, boom. <sighs> Go do whatever you were doing. Mm. That's the difference. So you, and so people listening here, highly recommend just jumping over and checking the, the YouTube video that mm -hmm. we just did where we broke down these exercises. It'd be way easier just to watch the video yep. than to t talk through them. But something that was, that came up that it's, that's an interesting differentiation that I'd be curious to unpack more is I was suggesting or asking is, could this position that you're teaching with the, the founder be something that would relate into say like strength training mm -hmm. exercises or, you know, squatting, for example, or like a back squat. And your response is, is no. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to differentiate the two positions. And yeah, I would just love to hear more about that. Sure. So what I, what I teach is very specific. It's, it's obnoxiously specific. And it's something I've been working on these very deliberate postures for 13 years now. So foundation training is a body weight protocol. And it's how to use your body weight and your muscle chains to kind of pull yourself apart and then recenter yourself. The language I use is we're retraining your axial skeleton, the spine, the rib cage, the head. We're retraining that towards expansion so that it can actually disperse your weight better. Now, when you're adding external resistance, you're adding axial loads, so you're putting a weight on you, you're holding a kettlebell, that changes the load radically to the point that Decompression breathing is a great setup before the exercise, but if you use decompression breathing, that elongation-focused posture instead of a forceful, compressed, healthy, braced posture, you're not moving the weight the right way. Mm. You, we can set you up to have really long, limber, strong muscles and a spine that communicates beautifully with them. But when it comes to external load, especially a heavy deadlift, a heavy squat, heavy shoulder presses, any Olympic movements, you need to know how to brace your abdomen and how to circumferentially breathe about eight to 12 inches lower than I teach you to breathe in decompression. Both are circumferential. Ours is above the diaphragm, whereas bracing for external resistance and heavy lifting is below the diaphragm and creates an upward barrier and an outward barrier and a back barrier and a sides barrier. It's not what decompression breathing does. Yeah. Decompression breathing creates expansion and it teaches the muscles that expand to the rib cage to learn during exhalation to remain expansive, which challenges the diaphragm eccentrically. Like it's teaching the diaphragm under resistance to lengthen. And then with that new length to kind of go with a healthier, relaxed contraction. So when you're decompression breathing, you are practicing breathing. You are practicing an alignment that 
builds you and broadens you. And it gives you as much dispersion of your own body's mass in itself as you can really find. In resistance training, that ain't what you're doing. In resistance training, you're protecting the spine, you're protecting the organs, you're moving the hips, and you're allowing the torso to then be taken for the ride after strong hip movement. So foundation training preps you beautifully, but it is not to be done during the lift. Mm. A common uh, issue that happens in the world at large and my own personal body that I've been working on on unwinding or reorienting for a bit is the flaring of the ribs. Yeah. And and so I wonder where because that's the, the, the ribs and the diaphragm seems like it's kind of the intersection between this, the strength training, you know, getting a big barrel belly mm-hmm. bracing position and then what you're describing of this decompression breath that seems like it's more like thoracic very much thoracic that's an interesting differentiation yeah. and what you thought about well what you're doing with rib flaring let's do it. don't worry about what you're doing with rib flaring you're actually shortening the back of the spine so in the front of the ribs do this we actually showed this in the video briefly i, I believe we, yeah. we were still recording yeah. when we did that when you open at the front it's at the expense of the back and just the same, if you're being lazy and you kind of collapse the front to widen the back, that, that's not good either. There is this uniform density breath, like front to back density. Like you're, this is how much space you take up. Now take up all of it. You know what I mean? Like this is your space. You're not necessarily going to get bigger, but you're going to take up every ounce of space you take up. Then we're going to teach you for how to a do pers- that. For a person listening, what are cues that they could think about right now if they're in a car driving or if they're just sitting at a computer or something? Great. Number one is if your shoulder blades are squeezing together and that's how you're, that's how you're upright is you're kind of retracting the shoulder blades to stick the chest out. Breathe into your shoulder blades. Literally hug the rib cage with your shoulder blades and just where you feel that tension through your nose, just pull air into it. Like you're trying to push yourself out of your own way. A lot of our decompression breathing work is literally pushing the tight parts of the rib cage out of the way, practicing over and over. We breathe through the nose in our work, not for the wonderful nitric oxide, not for those, the the chemical benefits that come with it. These are smaller holes. It's a lot harder to pull air in. Your muscles have to work harder. It's easier to control the rib cage through the nose than it is through the mouth. That's why we go through the nose. There are other benefits, but we are a biomechanics only system. We use the mechanical frame of the body and we kind of we kind of create scaffolding. We use like the muscles that connect to the joints to support them in an outward expansive force and you practice it often enough and your body kind of gets there. So even if you're training, if you're if you're a weightlifter, we work with tons of weightlifters. My my main guy, Jesse, who teaches this better than anybody, is one of the strongest people I know. The guy, the guy has perfect form in his lifts. Foundation training supplements, but you you certainly can't use our work alone if you're if you're trying to get super strong. There'd be a, a way to introduce some of the concepts from like decompression breathing and things of the sort into as opposed to being a thing that you do, something that seamlessly integrates into your day, or does it have to be um, like an add-on? No, after you've been doing, I mean, it's a skill. Just like dancing is a skill. And you'd look a little weird. Some people do it. But if you just started breaking out and dance everywhere, it might look a little awkward. But if you, if you know really good dancers, there's a, slight, there's a slight more rhythm and flow in every movement they do. So it's present always. It's like an on, ongoing cultivation of length. It's an accessory to everything you do, but it's yeah. not the focus. It's the focus while you're learning. For two to three weeks, decompression breathing is awkward and weird. And it's, t- it's, it's tiring. My, my ribs are a little sore back here. You know, I, my serratus are a little tight. Those are the, the typical discussions about it. But then all of a sudden it kind of kicks in and you start naturally moving. And I don't want people walking around like this all day. That's not what we're looking for. We're using that resurrective type physical breath that we teach 
so that when you're not paying attention to it, the initiation, that's it. The initiation of breath expands just enough to keep that perpetuating muscular strength occurring. Because breathing is one of the most metabolically active things we can do if we do it well. It keeps us very powerful. It keeps us very reactive and very strong. If we breathe poorly, it lends us to kind of the typical compensations of the shoulders drooping, the, the curvature of the neck kind of straightening out, the jaw tightening. Usually people snore more often if they have crummy posture. Each of these things is, is like a physical manifestation turned kind of chemical and, and visceral. Yeah. Yeah. Something that's a common trend, just staying on the breathing track for a bit, then we can switch gears. But the, the difference between horizontal breathing, just to use other people's terms mm -hmm. compared to vertical mm -hmm. breathing, which mm -hmm. I'd imagine you're, you're familiar with that concept. If you're not, are you familiar with this kind of idea? I I'm guessing one of the, I know you go ahead and explain it. I don't even want to try well, just, just as a, like the vertical typically be more like up into the clavicles and up into the chest and kind mm -hmm. of like this straight up and down type sensation. Whereas mm -hmm. horizontal breathing would be something that's your, you know, a, a, a cue that people could do that I think is supportive for most things would just be bringing your hands down your lower ribs and just feel and add a little pressure for feedback and feel that breath expanding outward mm -hmm. into the hands and using that before a lift or before a meeting or just really anything you're standing in, in bank and, you know, or in a line in a bank. Anything that gets you to focus on not just, so it's very easy to, okay, I'm gonna time my breath for three, you know, in, in four, out four, pause for four in between each exhale and inhale. The, the box breathings and different things like that. But very few people tell you where to put the air or where to take it out from. And that's our job. We want people not just to know kind of what to do, but where to put it. Those are two very important pieces of the same puzzle. And if you're vertical breathing, what is, what is vertical breathing? Well, vertical breathing, if it's done well, sure, you can funnel air up very well through the belly to the ribs to the point where you get a big, powerful, full breath. But you have to take into account that the vast majority of the lungs volume is behind you, not in front of you. So if your vertical breath feels like it fills here, you're vertically challenging yourself, like and, you're stopping and, it. And the lower lower lobes of the lungs compared to the-, the So that's what I'm saying is, yeah, yeah if, you're, if you're breathing really well and you're, you're looking for lung volume, you're gonna be aiming back here. Yep. You're aiming for the kidneys to a degree. You're aiming for below the shoulder blades because the vast majority of inflatable lung and fillable tissue is back there. Which is, which is kind of paradoxical because you think if you're mouth breathing, you think you get more air. But when no. you're mouth breathing, you're going to be more chest breathing, which is also yeah. indicative of, of being under a panicked, stressed state. So fine for short term, get it in. Mm -hmm. But as far as actually uh, volume of air, that slow, deep nasal breath so much is going to actually fill all yeah. of the, you know, the, the bags of the lungs. Get yourself a, a um, spirometer. Mm. Feel how a slow inhalation is so much harder and such a higher lung volume than a fast inhalation. Anybody can do, the spirometers are $5 on Amazon, $10. And you can really test your lung volume and you can play with like the different breathing styles. Yeah. Slow, deep, strong, controlled. That's, that seems to be the method mm -hmm. for both inhale and exhale that is the most, com most complete. Yeah, and then where this conversation starts to get interesting, and I'd love to go more to the mechanical stuff, but it's just so much easier just to watch visually. So again, just check out the YouTube would be the, the move, I think. Um, and maybe we can even do more specific exercises sure. like this because I love sharing fumbling, foundation. Yeah, fumbling over, over the descriptors is not the easiest in audio. Well, and also uh, movement is not, learned this way so you can there are people that can learn yeah but we we have put so many resources out there for people to learn be it visually from instructors from videos from apps whatever 
just learn it. Just yeah. go just go practice the work to the best of your ability. Learn what you can and if you if you can't learn it ask questions. Yeah. But where it becomes interesting from an audio perspective is the what, what is the, the 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 personality or or the emotional expression of the person that is breathing up in their chest or maybe is having kind of more of that panicky type. I mean I just said it You ever panicky. watch the squirrel in Ice Age? No, but I kind of get it. Goo, 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 yeah. goo. Just yeah. like you're super reactive. Yeah. You know, I mean, but this is also generic because everybody's a little different. Everybody's physiology is a little bit different, but typically you're going to be a little calmer if you're breathing through your nose. You're going to be a little bit more relaxed. You're going to be a little bit more in control and you're going to be a bit more aware of what you're doing. Uh, if you're mouth breathing, it's because you're focusing on something else. You know, you're kind of like off elsewhere. Yeah. You're not focused on. I've never, ever seen somebody who was told, take a deep breath slowly, go like this. Yeah. They always go through the nose, it's calm. You see their demeanor shift very quickly. It's amazing how much subtle shift we can have on ourselves, but it subtly shifts back when we're not paying attention yeah, to. So it's all yeah, piecemeal. It's associated to brain fog and poor circulation and reduction in nitric oxide and just like all of the things, yeah. which in a short term, it's mouth breathing is okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like like Brian McKenzie and his, his group, they reviewed the um, breathing chapter and, and my book and I borrowed a specific idea from them of like a gear based systems of breathing. Mm -hmm. And so fifth gear would be the mouth breathing gear. Mm -hmm. And in that it's like, it's a great gear to have access to, but when, if you're just hanging out don't and scrolling on Instagram, you probably don't want to be full, yeah. full bore fifth gear. Yeah. So figuring out how, even when you're doing an activity that is strenuous, are you able to start to, to extend your gears where it's like, you know, everybody else is in fourth gear right now, but I'm like still in second. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, that's like, you know, then your, your breathing pattern provides you to be, you know, like, like you become a weapon mm -hmm. or your breathing becomes a weapon because you start to cultivate that control. You know, and so I think it's an interesting thing of how our, our breathing directly informs our felt state. Yes. And, and so, vice versa. And so I wonder to, to kind of strip that back further, I wonder where that lends itself to the conversation around pain. I know that I've heard mm -hmm. you mentioning John Sarno and mm -hmm. you know I'm, I'm I'm enamored by his work as as well and you know TMJ or is it TMJ tension myositis syndrome TMS. so TMS yeah, yeah. um as opposed to to yeah, temperamental syndrome but so within that how do you think there's a bridge between the way that we breathe and the way that we feel not just a mental emotional level but also a sensation of like pain in the body of course Lamaze with pregnant women, that's the first sign. You can control a lot through breathing and there are limitations and there are skills. You, you know, breathing well is a skill. Using breathing to control stress and all that, that's a skill. And, it, and I mean, speak with Hicks and Gracie. His entire life is based around controlling stress with breathing and acceptance and getting through it. Um, and he's a master. You speak to a pregnant woman, and, and you've been working with him, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, successfully, man. Yeah, what a what a guy. I feel very fortunate for that relationship. Um, both Jesse, so Jesse, when I mentioned him, is Jesse Solace, who is you can't speak about foundation training at this stage without speaking about Jesse. He's had a gigantic impact, yeah. and he and I together have been working with with Hickson and a number of other uh, jujitsu practitioners as that grows. Our work is growing through the the jujitsu world. Like, it's kind of cool. I, enough so that I'm learning jujitsu. 
Great. I've been given the opportunity to learn with some, some high level people and I'm taking it full on and I'm really enjoying learning, breathing differently, mm-hmm. learning how to control myself totally differently. But uh, breathing is, is control. Like it's not the only control, but it's a control. It's one that's widely available to us that is so minimally used by people, it's ridiculous. Yeah, Adesanya was was the, the the UFC fighter was has attributed a lot of his success and kind of like a conversion into a, another level of training into practicing specific breathing practices. I believe I it. would imagine it's probably a lot of like this yeah. stuff, not necessarily foundation per se, but probably maybe postural restoration stuff, maybe foundation stuff, maybe you know. A it's lot probably of different- not foundation stuff or postural restoration stuff. It's probably more on the yogic performance style. It's probably well, more on like the spiritual there's, there's side. There's only so like what I what I yeah. value about the conversations in like the movement sphere is there's it's it's immediately testable mm-hmm. you know and if you think you came up with something new on how mm-hmm. to be in the body you're probably wrong living in your own little, little wrong. confused tunnel like being effective in the body like the like the the, the greatest weightlifting records ever mm-hmm. have shifted by like a couple of pounds over decades like it's like people have been in their body for a long time yeah innovation and and recognize what i do for a living like I, I'm, I'm among the innovative people in the movement field, and I'm very grateful to be there. But none of us is innovating all that much. We're using, we're finding access points for people that answer questions. Nobody's creating anything anymore. You're developing, or you know what you're creating is protocols. You're creating entry points. You're saying this is where they gotta get. How do we get them? And every single step along those pathways, whether you're doing foundation training work, Egoscue work go clay work, if you're doing some of the more higher performance stuff, some of the strength training modalities out there, fucking human body moves like a human body. And there's like a few versions of that and that's all. And it's been that way for like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. Yeah, like gorillas are pretty strong. So you can watch and you can witness and you can even take pieces of movement that feel great. And this is what I did. I took the pieces that felt so good I couldn't stop doing them and just kept piecing them together. So all of a sudden there's all these isometric hip hinges. There's when I feel good is when I lift my ribs off of my injuries, learned how to keep them there. You know what I mean? Like when I feel good is when my hips line up. I didn't invent lining my hips up, but when I line my hips up this way, damn, it feels good. And here's how you stay there. That's how innovation occurs in our field now. It's different protocols. It's like the breathing techniques. Everybody kind of understands the theme. And here's these various entry points. And if you relate to this entry point, good, because you'll feel the benefits of movement. You'll feel the benefits of breathing. Whereas if you don't relate to this, this entry point, maybe here's another one you can try. I love when people tell me they've tried everything because there's people like me out there right now constantly innovating in our field so that you have another available entry point. Wherever you're coming from, be it the young, strong person or the old, beat up person or the old, strong person or the old, young, beat up person. There's different versions of everybody at every age. Our job is entry points. Here's how you get into feeling better. I'll tell you one thing I know for damn sure. If you're in pain, the wrong entry point to feeling better is typically medicines. Mm. It's typically dissociation. That's the wrong entry point because you're not understanding yourself. You're not understanding your symptoms. Sarno's work, John Sarno's work, tension myositis syndrome, the identification of it's inside of you, whether it's coming from a movement origin, whether it's coming from a stress origin, a trauma origin, a PTSI. So I had a wonderful person explain to me that uh, post-traumatic stress is not a disorder. It's an injury, like a brain bruise. Mm, So I've started to discuss it as post-traumatic stress injury. And it makes so much more sense to me. 
And when you treat it, you treat that differently too. You treat an injury instead of a, a mess up, a screw up. Wow. So, right? It changes the dialogue. Language is powerful, man. It is. Yeah, we, it, it builds the, the walls that contain us. So that is an innovation that somebody did that changes somebody's relatability. That's what people need to be doing. I'm so grateful that I'm educated as a chiropractor, but I'm not a, not a chiropractor. I don't treat people as a chiropractor. I'm so glad that there's people in my field educating that so that, so that that is always improving, always getting better, more relatable, better pathways, more understanding from patient communities because of these innovations of entry points and take out the pieces, take out the pieces that don't seem to work as often keep the pieces that seem to really work all the time and eventually you're going to have a very effective offering and that that's kind of how it works in our field now i wonder from your perspective uh how do what is your working definition of pain obviously there's different variants acute Mm. pain is, is vastly different than chronic pain so how would you parse those two apart and what is your working definition of of say chronic pain because i think it's a little bit more interesting although acute pain is interesting too because it's still perception based they're both really deeply interesting it's a good question Mm. i want to i want to try to answer this right when i'm working with a patient that's in pain i have one goal that they don't think about it that's a successful outcome in fact one of my favorite things that somebody will say to me when they're in a lot of pain and i'm able to help them or or our work is able to help them is like I haven't, how are you feeling? I haven't fucking, I haven't thought about my back. This, that's yeah. crazy. I, yeah. Whoa, I hadn't thought about it. So my definition of pain is that it, it, it dominates your perception to the point where you kind of, it's just always there, no matter what. Chronic pain in particular, it might not be always there, but you know it's always there. You might not be actively sensing it, but you're actively arranging your life around it. You're actively arranging your schedule, your movements, and your excursions your output around this sensation or the fear or the anxiety that's pain it is absolutely experienced differently by countless people and some of the worst pain i've ever seen people in was absolutely not physical but it manifested as the inability to move because they were so mentally harmed that they literally like the body is so emotional in its in its contractions and the psoas that's harmed contract the vagus nerve that's harmed up here contracts and we just man we just shrink and we you know if sometimes stuff gets so bad that like this is where that human exists from and that's their experience of pain is it doesn't even hurt but they just can't get out of it and it pervades it pervades their existence and your breathing and your visual everything your, your, your visual muscles everything is all somebody trying to be nice to you is a dick to you because because of your perception and pain and then we become attached to that filter and we start to perpetuate this mm-hmm. this self-perpetuating prophecy or however yeah. they say that it's very and please like for anybody listening please understand that for the last 13 years since april of 2014 years since april of 2008 i have been actively working with a population more or less every day of my life that doesn't want to feel the way they feel anymore. They're so sick of it. They've tried the surgeries. They're sick of the pills. They're sick of taking Percocet. They're sick of taking pain kills, pain pills all the time. They're sick of taking four Advil in the morning, four Advil in the evening, four Advil to go to bed every single day. They're so fucking tired of it. There's no answers. So there's a lot of us that are just stuck in that place, not the pain place, but trying to find the answers because I've been in pain like that. I've been where in my late 20s, 27, 28, 29, 30, as I started to get better at foundation training, it started to really kind of arc to where I was in less pain, less pain, less pain, less pain, thank God. 
But for a few years there, I was really nervous, man. I had the anxiety of, oh my God, I just spent $200,000 to become a chiropractor and my back is killing me. I can't even lean over patients. I'm 27. That was a different kind of pain because there was this fear of, I'm going to be broken homeless. How am I going to pay this debt back? How am I going to make, how am I going to make a living? I failed my boards the first time and took five years to pass them before I could actually be a chiropractor. And in that five years, through absurd desperation and frustration and need, I developed this work for both my own pain and for my ability to like, as it turns out in retrospect, become a confident, strong human being. But that happened because of pain. I was, I hated who I, I didn't hate who I was, but I hated where I was. I actually really liked who I was, but I hated kind of where I got myself. And I didn't feel literally physically strong enough to lift myself out of it. I could move around, but if I moved the wrong way, I couldn't move around. What life is that? So the perception changes as you get stronger. Now pain is, is if my kid hurts, you know? I'm so much more tolerant to individual pains. You get a splinter, you get things like that. You just breathe through whatever, you, you smash your fingers. Whereas I used to be more reactive to it. But now if I see a kid in pain or emotionally hurt, it hurts, man. Those things hurt now. I've been really lucky to work with chronic pain patients and a lot of them are much older than me and some of them have been in pain in their lives, be it back pain, hip pain, knee pain, or jaw pain, or mental pain, or chronic headaches, or frozen shoulders that haven't moved, or a foot that hasn't dorsiflexed in 35 years because of drop foot syndrome and, and sciatic nerve lesions and different things like that. These are the, the, the patients, you know, they, they get laminectomies at four and five levels and then their spine stops moving and they need to start, they need to keep moving. They have ankylosing spondylitis that has progressed eight to 10 to 15 to 20 years. And thank God their hip joints still work because their spines are fixed. Mm. They cannot move. So these are the people I get to, man, I get to try to drag their asses right out of pain. And the willing ones, the ones that are willing to do the work, get out of it. The ones that are expecting it to be handed to them do not get out of it. Yeah, That's the difference. I also would like to share something that I've been taking to make sure I'm covering all the bases with getting my greens. I've been taking Organifi's green juice for the last, it's been about three months. And I really love this stuff. Uh, it tastes absolutely delicious. It's like one of the best beverages you could possibly serve on a hot summer day. Throw some ice on there. It contains not only greens, but also adaptogenic mushrooms, such as ashwagandha. It also has matcha green tea. So it's excellent for energy support, antioxidants, and genuinely being a refreshing beverage. So if you would like to get yourself a 20% discount on this or any other Organifi product, you can jump over to Organifi.com slash align. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash align for 20% off. If you're not totally satisfied with your purchase, you can get your money back. I think you guys are gonna love the green juice. I hope you enjoy. That's it, that's all. Organifi.com slash align. Also wanted to share something that has been an absolute game changer for my sleep and muscular recovery. That is magnesium, particularly mag breakthrough from BioOptimizers. Magnesium is a mineral that it's just wise to supplement. It's largely deficient in modern day soil. It's largely deficient in most people for that reason. And mag breakthrough is a fantastic complex of magnesium. It contains all different, all seven different forms. And it's fantastic. I even chew the, I open the capsules and taste it. I think it tastes great. It might be a little weird, but uh, I genuinely appreciate the flavor of the product. And uh, I think it's important to implement into anyone's life. If you care about your sleep, if you care about muscular recovery. And the best part is you can get yourself a discount by going over to magbreakthrough.com slash 
Align Podcasts. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com slash Align Podcast. And you'll get yourself a 10% discount on top of any other discounts they may have. So jump over to magbreakthrough.com slash Align Podcast for a discount. If you do not love this product, if it doesn't make a difference in your life, get your money back. No questions asked. I think you're going to dig it. That's it. Magbreakthrough.com slash line podcast. There's an interesting thing. I want to keep going down the pain pain road, but I think as far as people that are experiencing some level of chronic pain, which is a, you know probably a good percentage of people listening right now, most of the people that we read about and talk about, like like Iderall for Moshe Feldenkrais or mm. Frederick Alexander, Alexander Technique, or, you know, like the list goes on of people that were just, the reason that they have books and information and guides and all that stuff is just because they had some pain or had a child or someone that was very close to them that had some issue. And just through navigating the Rubik's Cube that is their human experience, they started to find pathways. It's like, mm-hmm. ah, that that pathway felt good. Okay, let's build off of that. Ah, that pathway feels good as well. Let's build off of that. Exactly. So it's such a beautiful thing. It's like the it's like the the wounded healer. You know, it's like that's well, that's that's it. That stereotype is so accurate. It sure. is anybody your, your, your pain is your gift it can it can be it's pretty much it's yeah. pretty obnoxious to hear that but it, it can be it just might not feel that way right now yeah i don't know man i haven't met that many people that the humbling that chronic problems gave them wasn't just a real blessing for them mm-hmm. oh, it, yeah. it slowed them down in certain cases it took them out of some pretty gnarly situations in certain places for me it my personal experience is it, it gifted me a life it gifted me a completely different existence than I was en route for. I was planning to be a sports medicine chiropractor with a nice clinic. And I'll be honest with you, about halfway through, that wasn't the goal anymore. You know, I just didn't seem to, I don't know if this is what I want to do. Like, uh, there's no strength here, man. What, I'm not just going to adjust people my whole life. And I love, I'm a, I'm a diehard fan of chiropractic, but I'm also a diehard fan of it needing an active component mm-hmm. in order to remain helpful and useful. So I, I think people that can surrender to their pain not like it's going to be this way but this is where i'm at and i'm going to get out of here but this is me right now and i got to work with this only to get out of this that's a pretty wild challenge yeah and those that take it become the ones you're talking about yeah there's like a like i don't know lots of spiritual people have said various iterations of of be with what is and that's something that's been supportive for me in moments where I'm maybe having like a, you know, I've had anxiety attacks before, the sensations of panic or maybe like anxiety was the big, the big thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, wow, like the Aaron is having a breakdown. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what, what I, what's happening with I right now, <laughs> but, this guy. but the Aaron is having a fucking breakdown. This and guy's then, not doing so good, but I'm all right. <laughs> and then And then there's like, okay, I can try to wrestle it which is, you know, typically not, you're not going to do well. Sometimes you can wrestle it in the form of maybe like running. You can run away from the pain in a way. And that's like, maybe you go for, you become like an ultra athlete. You mm-hmm. just keep running and running and running. Oftentimes that's associated with like drug addiction as well. I know a lot of, a lot of really talented ultra athletes, not all of them, but endurance athletes, it's like they've just, their solution was they just kept on running. And yeah. now there's this brilliant athlete and their, kept going. their powers, they just kept, kept on, going. they just kept on running. When you're going through hell, keep going. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so I think that's just interesting in general that just the, the, the opportunity or option when you're having some, some experience that feels 
unbearable. Uh, one potential available option on the table is to be with what is and just see where that goes and to actually have the opportunity to surrender. Well, to tie it together, that's the moment when you're in that sensation. I don't want to be here. 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 This isn't good. That's when this is where I am, you know, even longer exhale. And you're just like, this is where I am. And it's the surrender is not, this is where I'm going to stay. Mm. It's the recognition of this is me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be the calmest version of myself I can in this position so that my next decision is a little better than the one that got me here. Um, to, to go back, and I, not, I'm not name dropping with Hickson. I'm very appreciative that I get the opportunity to oh, work I, with I name dropped for you. So with him, I'm learning jujitsu from him a little bit as well. And we've gotten to trade back and forth. And it, we tell each other the same thing. Breathe. Right there. Stay. Breathe there. Don't move yet. That's the spot. For him, it's getting through old patterns. For me, it's not being scared in very challenging, uncomfortable positions. Yeah. When a guy like Hicks and Gracie is trying to choke me. Not trying, by the way, because if he was trying, he would. There wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to do anything about it. He just would. So there's this very interesting correlation to pain because when you're in a lot of pain, it's kind of the same thing. You're like, my adversary is so good at what they're doing. I don't have a chance. Damn it, I want to learn. So one of the fastest ways to get out of pain is to not really try to get out of pain at that moment. Just say, where is it? What am I feeling? What is that? Mm-hmm. What is that? This is why I love cannabis so much. Mm-hmm. Cannabis gives you that, that associative sensation without, for some people it does make them panic. And if you're a panicker, it's the wrong thing. Unless you've never tried it when you're in a lot of pain and then it, as little as possible, give it a go. Or if you are courageous enough, be willing with the panic and be with what is. There could be, part answer, of it too, could be answers through that. There's different brain types. Not that types. I'm recommending anybody goes in their own little, yeah. little cannabis-induced panic attack. But There's different brain types, and it's good for some, and it's not good for others. And that's just the, the basic truth on, on cannabis and on herb, and on most substances, for that matter. It's good for some, it's not good for others. Sure. That being said, as, as you're adapting to these different things, as you, you can adapt to pain in good and bad ways. You can adapt to pain in the sense that it limits everything around you. Or you can adapt to pain in that you learn how to do the things around you with as little limitation as possible, knowing that there are certain limitations that must be adhered to. And then as you get really good at adhering to those, you start kind of busting through those very often too. If you're a pretty active person, if your pain is not some blunt force fracture, but it's like a chronic pattern you've been inadvertently following for many, many years, yeah, you usually can get out of those. So so what is tension myositis? Is it tensional myositis? TMS, the John Sarno. I believe it's tension myositis syndrome. Yeah. And the idea is that post-trauma in your nervous system, so not tissue trauma, not I got beat up and it still hurts, not my back hurts because I have a herniated disc, not the outside of my knee hurts because my iliotibial band is a little bit off track. More, I don't really want to tell anybody about this stuff. I'm going to hold it in. Hmm. What stuff? What's, that's what I'm saying. I don't want to tell, like, that's what tension myositis is. Oh, it's not me not, personally. I was like, there's no secrecy live podcast, Eric. No, I don't. <laughs> I have, I have learned many lessons. I've, I have lived with my emotions on my shoulder for many years. Oh yeah. Um, I'll just swallow that up. You know, it's just like, no, no, not swallowing. Just being like, this is what I'm feeling now. And I don't like it. So get away from like, you know, you're, I'm a very, I'm an emotional person. I'm a sensitive person. I, I literally have a program based on what I feel yeah. and then translating that to people to help them, them get through life a little better. No, I mean, I mean, that can, can be based off of John Sarno's work, a, a product or a foundation of pain that one may experience is the inability to express. Yes. Yes. The fear to express, not feeling safe, feeling like they, you need to chronically, chronically be bracing on guard. On also defense. being many people are not honest with themselves on who they are to them, not even outwardly mm-hmm. to them. 
and they might not even have the resources or tools or capacity to be completely honest with themselves in that moment. So John Sarno's work is all about expressing yourself fully, doing the things you like to do because you are not limited, even if you feel the pain. That's a biggie on him. Get through it. Do it anyways. You are not limited. You can do that. He's like, you know, Joe Dispenza? John Sarno is like if Joe Dispenza was a Columbia-trained medical doctor instead of a chiropractor, he'd probably speak a language closer to what John Sarno spoke. Mm -hmm. But they are very similar in their drive towards what you perceive is true, by the way. What you believe is true, yep. by the way. Yep. They're believers in that. And what you can do to change it is, is yours also. I, I really believe that if John Sarno was still alive, I would have absolutely made the pilgrimage. If I understood how much I respect his work now, when I first learned about it about 12 years ago or so, I would have like made the pilgrimage just to go like learn from Dude, him a little bit. It sucks when guys like that die and you he didn't get 90s. to connect with him. He, was in, he had a great career. I had that, I was around Ram Dass when mm -hmm. I lived in Hawaii and I, I was like 20 or so, 19. And I had many opportunities to hang out with Ram Dass. And I didn't because I didn't have the eyes for how just didn't incredible realize, yeah. an, a, an yeah. opportunity that was. And I had a, a friend called Kadar. I don't think he listens to this, but but he was he's like a Hare Krishna guy. And they would go and have these like, I don't know, workshops, talks, discourses with Ram Dass. And he's like, hey, you want to go hang out with Ram Dass? And I'm like, Ram who? Like, yeah. no, I'm not. I want to go train jujitsu and surf and like not into yeah. that. And then he dies. And I'm like, oh, and now just recently Louis Simmons died. I'm like, God dang it. Yeah. It's a really interesting reminder of like, if something feels important, like it might be worth making a pilgrimage. Yeah, always. Because at some point that thing's probably not going to be there, at least the way that it was. Yeah, it won't. And you'll probably look back and be like, God. And so whatever, you know, one's metaphor, Baba Ram does or Louis Simmons is like, it's like, could be a worthwhile thing to make the pilgrimage anyway. It's just a reminder to myself. If I could go meet Norm MacDonald, I'd go meet Norm MacDonald. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love a human being with powerful wit, like really legit on the money. Just, you are so fast. You're so quick. And you're also that funny. That's, that's hero level. So, so unpacking more the the TMS stuff. I don't expect for you to to be an expert at John Sarno's work. I'm not, but but uh, just as far as getting so essentially the way he describes it, the way that I haven't looked up his stuff for a while, so I'll probably be butchering it. But essentially, having some types of fears, anxieties, resistances, something of the sort, will lead to some type of musculoskeletal contraction, and at a deeper level, that will lead to a a lack of proper blood flow and a lack of of oxygen, and and somehow that translates to tension or pain manifesting around nerves. I think I'm butchering a lot of that. Not really. But it's a general general gist. You're describing localized ischemic tissue Correct. that doesn't get enough blood flow or oxygen it's and in turn doesn't perform. That's not exclusively a, you know, Darwinian mm -hmm. mechanical musculoskeletal engineering problem. There's also an emotional no, component an, to it as well. It's a nervous system and fascia thing. Yeah. And yeah, that in what I know of Sarno's work and I've read his books and I've listened to the little bit of information I could kind of find on his stuff. His biggest thing was going against the medical establishment. So his, his treatment was less a treatment than it was, you don't need the shit they're about to offer you. And he was in the establishment. So his work was much more avoidant of procedures and chemistry that can harm you. Instead, you're better off. If you, know, you think it's going to hurt your back a little bit if you move this way, okay, it won't do it. What might hurt you is thinking you can't do it and going down the rabbit hole 
that the medical system is going to offer you for that very same pain. So his, it was so important because very few people were doing that. Very few people were saying, don't mask it. You're, already, you're probably hurting because you're kind of masking it. He was one of the first ones really doing that. Now you've got books like The Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. You've got these things that speak his language better than he spoke it. So progress occurs. And that's, he was a very important piece of the allopathic system, the medical system, understanding that the body's more powerful than we give it credit for. And he has endless amounts of anecdotal examples of individuals who, mm-hmm. by reading a book, were able to, I don't know if overcome is the correct word, come into relationship. Be with, less controlled be by. Of. Yeah. This chronic pain that's been yeah. in a, just innate life to their changing. existence for you know 20 years 10 years you know whatever absolutely life-changing work based off of reading a book and coming into a new relationship with this experience that they've deemed to be this unavoidable pain mm-hmm. it's just so interesting to be able to come in that you, you mentioned something that that's that's consistent with uh, vipassana meditation which is like vipassana is a style of meditation the 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 popular version like introduction people go and they sit for 10 days and you get up really early and you meditate for an hour and then you take a little walk meditate for an hour you should do that all day long mm-hmm. and in that time something that i i did one of those and in that time i was i was talking with one of the guys uh, in between sits and uh you're not actually supposed to be talking so it wasn't in between so it was at the very end we break the noble silence and one of the things that he mentioned because he was like real good at meditating like real good i was like bro. i was like bro <laughs> like we'd be done with an hour sit and he'd be up in the front like fully astute upright position and just like still in it for wow. 20 minutes afterwards like i'm like i'm like oh like ready to get out and go get some sunshine he's just like going deeper and i'm like what is going on hmm. and so i asked him about it and uh he described it as when he would be experiencing some type of some sensation of pain, his experience of pain, which is true um, in that moment, his tool would be to go in and become very curious about the pain and intentionally be visualizing it and, and attempting to, to gain a greater relationship with it. It's like, does the pain have a color? Does it have a shape? Does it have a texture? Does it have a sound? And he'd said he'd go through and try and break down like a magnifying glass. He'd go, and once he'd, he'd isolate and find like this visual depiction of the pain, he'd go through and try to go to a deeper level and magnify in and then go to a deeper level magnify and go to, until eventually it's just like space mm-hmm. and what he found with that practice that i've i've practiced as as well not always successfully but occasionally is you go into it deep enough suddenly the pain would almost like disperse in a way there's like, like mm-hmm. it's very very interesting if my legit chronic pain patients did that they would take that magnifying glass they were using to see the pain and they would break it over their heads repetitively. Mm -hmm. I understand where he's going with that. I really do. And I understand where Sarno's going with that too. It's a really, really, really hard thing to get there for for most people. I'm one of them. I cannot sit through my pain. I have to change the sensation immediately. That's why my work is all about shifting tension, dispersing tension. The sensation of pain for me is absolutely unbearable. When it goes, when it's my symptom, when it's my back compression, my right leg shuts down, my left leg just feels like a stabbing knife through it. If I pinpoint that left pain in it, fucking head's gonna explode. It's mm-hmm. so sharp. It's so intense and burning yep. that all I can do is get off of it. I will literally stand up, move around, whatever I can possibly, twist in, twist out, move the ribs, move the, whatever I can do to lift off of it. That being said, 
I know how to lift off of it because I had to sit with it for so much uncomfortable time. Yeah. Because it's like you don't change your position and the pain goes away until you know how to change your position and the, the pain goes away. And you've practiced that over and over and you kind of keep catching the same positional change. Yep. So I understand what that person's saying. I really do. But I'll be 100%. I've never in my life been able to come close to like perceiving my way out of pain. I've been extremely upfront and honest with myself about my pain. I've done everything I can to disclose and discuss my shadows. I've tried to go through old trauma some pains are mechanical. Some pains are tissues broken down. So while I love Sarno's work, and I do, I am a much bigger believer in the patient's capacity to move through pains, yep. to stabilize pains, and also to free up their mental and neurological well-being. And I think there's these pieces of the puzzle. And I hope very soon somebody comes and adds another piece to the puzzle that will support my work and support Sarno's work and support the other people. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. an ever growing puzzle of entry points for people. Yeah. There's like a, there's a fancier term for this, but a simplified term for it is, is a, a, every person has their own version of a stress bucket. And I think the first that I heard this is from a fellow called Dr. Cobb a podcast I did with him many years ago and what the stress bucket is essentially is every person has some amount of stress that they're able to contain some people's containers are more vast than others you know you get some like navy seal you know post buds guy they've got like a big old honking yeah. adaptable anti-fragile container you get some like valley girl you know everything's been given to her you know and then suddenly she's gets you know doesn't have enough instagram notifications or something like that she's like ah yeah. they don't love me and, you know and then suddenly the pain my pain mm -hmm. You know, it's a, and that, that's a, I think that's an interesting lens to start to come through of saying, okay, perhaps pain could be uh, like the 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 dripping over or the overflowing of this stress bucket. Physical, mental, absolutely, um, and, and and then all of it, and yeah. then within that is there the opportunity to say, okay, do I have tools and resources to start to purge some of the fluid out of this stress bucket to make it feel more manageable? And mm -hmm. very often a person's resources to, to purge their stress bucket is in fact perpetuating stress. Yes, That's where it's a really interesting like finger bind position to be in. We don't really get culturally, that's the reason I, I, I do most of the crap that I do, uh, you know, is to, create simplified digestible symptoms to or, or 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 systems to help people be able to purge their stress bucket so that they can start to be more manageable and start to be able to address root symptoms mm -hmm. but if you are swimming for your life and you're at that place where like i am about to drown <laughs> i don't really have time for some freaking founders mm -hmm. <laughs> You, know, or, you need relief you know and so with then it's like okay like how do we start to parse back or pull back the layers a bit to get mm -hmm. to a place where a person becomes less reactionary well that's what look and, and and we're talking about pretty high intensity level symptoms now so it's like that's where you use medications use the medication as the entry point to get into movement abilities if needed when you're really in pain and it's affecting your ability to do anything else do whatever is needed to dis to decrease that to the point that you're functional once you're functional, you come to people like me. You can be in a lot of pain and be functional, but you can't be in debilitating pain that doesn't allow you to communicate with people, which many people are in. Mm. That's where, look, I hope everybody takes CBDs and, and decides to try herb instead of, instead of you know really heavy pain pills or even the over-the-counter stuff. I hope that people use their natural systems like the endogenous cannabinoid system instead of the blocking the symptoms system. Hmm. 
I hope people understand that the more sugar you eat, the hypersent, the more sensitive you are to pain. It, it literally increases your neural sensitivity. The exact same sim symptoms will be heightened because of excessive sugar in the diet. Yeah, or caffeine. Caffeine too. Or breathing in a way that's causing you stress. They all, yeah, they tend to loop negative or feedback, negative or positive or feedback. Or focusing loops. your eyes on, on a, a set myopic point that's sending the indication to your omic nervous system that it's like time to get up and at them. Yeah. So sympathetic, get it each done. of these things can stimulate and heighten that pain. Yeah. So when I, when somebody comes to me in that panicked state, I want them to feel supported. So while it might not be time for a founder, while we're, we're not even gonna have our discussion standing, I'm gonna lay them down. We're gonna have our talk in this position, in this supine decompression position. I'm gonna put you in it, by the way. I'm not gonna try to coach you through it. Yep. You're gonna lay down and I'm literally going to put you in the position. All you have to do is stay there. And then we're gonna have our discussion about pain and about what needs to happen and about where we go next. Support is key in every level of relationship from you and your symptoms, to you and your siblings, to you and your spouse, to you and your friends, to you and your coworkers, like communication and, and clear, open communication, just like in the nervous system, just like muscle to bone, just like nervous system to brain to sensation or sensation to nervous system to brain. Each of those needs clear, open communication and each little hindrance, each little hiccup affects the way that transmission is sent. And if you speed it up with sugars, with caffeines, with things like that, they're not bad. You're just going to feel them more. Your perception is subtly heightened in the sensation of pain. It goes away. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's just perception. It's not that your pain is worse. It's not that your injury is worse. It's, it's, not, it's not that. It's the sensation of it is being heightened by the nervous system, by the gray matter. It's just what it's doing for whatever reason. Yep. There's a great book called Sugar Crush which goes through that really nicely and, and presents a very molecular breakdown of chronic pain symptoms. And they did a good job with it. So if people want to read a pretty short, but pretty cool take, cool. it's called Sugar Crush. Yeah. It's neat. Um, and that really helped me broaden my understanding of chronic pain was the nutritive and, and kind of energy side of it. Not like hippy dippy energy, like glucose equals pain sometimes in certain people, you know, it, it just heightens it for whatever reason. So what would your, if you had like your top three tips to start to downregulate the nervous system, you could say. I have three. Perfect. Number one is if you are not sweating, you have to sweat. Mm. You have to sweat. And if you're not using saunas, you gotta use saunas. If you're a chronic pain patient, I don't care what your age is. I don't care what else you do. I get some people like infrared. I have my own opinion. My opinion is I love traditional saunas. Well, don't you like benefit? It's nothing. It's not that I don't like infrared. It's that I don't believe it's the same as traditional heat. And I don't think the benefits are, are quite as strong. That being said, there are benefits to infrared. People do get them, especially people with environmental toxins and things like that and illnesses or thyroid problems. That's a biggie. Those people tend to get a lot of benefit from infrared for my personal use, for my family's use, for my patient's use, I, I recommend traditional dry sauna. At, you know, that, that number that has been made famous of like 186 for 25 minutes, but really it's hot enough to really change your, your body's ability to maintain its core temperature to the point that it stresses it after about 20 to 25 minutes to the point that you gotta get out because your body's having a hard time maintaining and lowering its core temperature. And in order to do that, it is sweating so pervasively that you're like, I gotta drink like a gallon of water. This is crazy. That output, that lymphatic pump that occurs through the sauna, the, the exocrine, get it out of you, the excretion pump, and then filtering in fresh water is so key for chronic pain. 
it's ridiculous. It is absolutely number one recommendation for people that are really suffering. Make sure you drink enough water. Number two, there are a dozen or more valuable postural protocols for pain. Foundation training is one of them. Foundation training accessorizes the others, but it's not a standalone. There are wonderful Egoscu, Go Clay. There are Breathing for Warriors from Belissa, Breathing for Stress from Brian, the XPT protocol from Gabby and Laird. There's so many good people. So there's I'm just so grateful for the world. And that's like literally, I think I just I think I just identified Southern California pretty much. Like yeah. that's it, you know? Most all of them have been on the podcast, by the way. Yeah. So that it's a small net. So that's that's in our little network, dude. Yeah. The world is fucking gigantic, and there are so many people with so many tools to help people. If the one you're doing ain't helping you, keep staying extremely curious for the next one. And that curiosity is another one of the things that people have to have to get out of pain. So, so far I've told you, you need sauna therapy and you need to not think that you know what the fuck you're doing. You need to be open-minded about your pain and you need to believe that people have felt what you're feeling before and have really tried to find pathways out of it that don't depend on other doctors doing it for you. And you got to really do your research as to the movement practices that help plantar fasciitis, that help frozen shoulder, that help TMJ, that help migraines, that help digestive issues, that help heart palpitations, that help angina, that help plantar fasciitis. Any symptom you have plus movement or natural modality is going to have case studies of people that have been helped by X, Y, or Z thing. Just do your, do your research. Look. At the same time, I'm not anti-surgery and I very often will send back pain patients that simply cannot get better for hip replacement surgery. That's usually the surgery that is the most successful for chronic pain patients. Yep. Um, but that's last course. And then even if you do that, you gotta really resurrect your posture and your movement patterns yeah, to, both to Gab, keep it strong. Both Gabby, Reese and Kelly Starrett have gone through that. Pretty sure okay. Gabby did, right? Gabby did? It's, it's, Pretty sure she did. Most athletes that use their bodies intensely, that's a very viable option for them you know, and, it, and their success outcomes are huge. So you have these options that don't involve blocking the sensation of pain. That's my biggie. Feel the pain, feel it, understand it, and then get the hell away from it with movement, with breath, with all these other modalities we're talking about, with sauna usage, with proper hydration, with making sure the other fundamentals are key in, are, of health are there in your life, and that that's not what the pain is indicating. And then the last one is, I'm a, look, I'm a gigantic fan of stimulating your natural endogenous cannabinoid system. If you're a vertebrate, if you have a spine, you have an endogenous cannabinoid system. If you're listening to this, you're human. It means you got a really good one. Yours is really advanced. It can be stimulated by a myriad of different things. THC works very well. CBD works very well. Compound broad spectrum hemp oils and things like that work very well. Eh, there's different citric, citrus fruits and different things that can stimulate it mildly. There's different peppers that can stimulate it mildly. Exercise stimulates it very well. Hormesis, the process of stretching yourself a little bit so that when you're stressed a lot, you react better, that process is the use of the endogenous cannabinoid system. It's the adaptation that that system provides. So if you're a chronic pain person trying to change your patterns, cannabis is the world's greatest adaptogen. Hmm. It's better than mushrooms. It's better than ashwagandha. It's better than anything. It has its own system within us. It's named after it. That system plus an active lifestyle, plus nutrients, plus awareness, plus breath pattern work, will adapt you quickly away from pain. And it will be more pleasant than if you try to do it with opiates, if you try to do it with Advil, if you try to do it with Tylenol. It will make you feel what you're feeling more, but it will make it a more pleasant feeling as you're going through it. Mm. 
Yeah. So I'm a big, big fan of that. That's that foundation's a health book, man. That's what it's all about is how to, this is what I've learned from 13 years of working with my own pain and working with a ridiculous amount of people in chronic pain. Don't take the pills unless you have to. And only until you don't have to work on posture every day a little bit. And it should be hard. It shouldn't be easy. It should be hard. It should make you really stand up. If you're in a wheelchair, work on posture every day within the chair. You know, you work with what you got. Sauna therapy in and of itself is a tremendous adaptogenic potential. That plus cannabinoid use. And again, I'm not telling people to go smoke weed. THC is one of them. Go have CBD. You'll never notice that you have it. You know, there's all these different ways to fuel it. Go have avocado oil, sunflower oil, plus a little bit of glucose so that your body makes an andamide, so that your body makes two arachidinoyl glycerol, two AG, the natural inside of us cannabinoids that we produce for the same sensation and feeling that stimulate the same system. There's ways to really modulate pain. And most people are coming nowhere near doing them and telling us that they've tried everything. Mm -hmm. I've done everything. I've tried everything. No, you haven't. There's so much more to try, get over it, start over, keep your mind open, work hard, change your life. And then the sauna would be an example of something that, that does start to, I don't know, potentiate or catalyze that endogenous cannabinoid system. Stress. Just doing some, doing hard things. Stress, yeah. it's that simple. Stress is good and bad, too much of it's bad, a little bit of it's good. The system that makes a little bit of it good for us is the endogenous cannabinoid system. It does it because there's two very particular neurotransmitters, the ones I just mentioned, anandamide and 2-AG that are naturally secreted by the body that go backwards. They go from a post-synapse to a pre-synapse. In normal person terms, that means normal neurotransmitters, the ones we know about, dopamine, serotonin, different things like that, they go from, from front to back when they, there's something called a synaptic cleft that creates the impulse, that creates the reaction, that allows the potentiation of, of a neurotransmitter to potentiate a reaction. There's only two that move the other way, that go from the back end of the synapse to the front end of the synapse, like a cleanup crew trying to figure out what the hell just went on. And they happen to be the two endogenous cannabinoids that we have in our body, mm. anandamide and 2-AG. And they're made up by simple fat and simple sugar, the two most common things the human being eats. It's so fucking basic and it's so available for us and it is so minimally utilized and it's so easy to use. And we have systems built into our system to, to fuel it and perpetuate our well-being through it. We hear the term homeostasis, the endogenous cannabinoid system would be much more appropriately named the endogenous homeostasis system because it helps us return from asymmetries of all different kinds, of all different systems, of all different molecules. Those asymmetries are kind of pulled towards a symmetrical center, whatever that might be, whether it be a chemical center, pH, whether it be a electrochemical center, sodium potassium pump, whether it be another electrochemical potentiator, oxygen and carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide. Each of these things has kind of like a dispatch, a slowdown, a speed up. And the endogenous cannabinoid system seems to be the, the, the conductor of that orchestra to make sure that it's, it's flowing and kind of cruising along swimmingly. It's a neat thing. It's a neat, it's a neat thing to research. And I want people to know that I am in no way, shape or form an expert on it. I am just a gigantic fan of what it can do. And I've been looking for why foundation training works like it works. And it turns out that it's an adaptive process stimulating an adaptive system. Earlier you mentioned, so I think there's two interesting lanes that we can stay somewhat cogently <laughs> in alignment with. One lane that's a little bit more meta 
earlier you you said thank God that you've you know found solution to to your pain, which is there's another interesting thing I think is is you have consistently said my pain. I think that's an interesting idea that the pain is ours mm-hmm. compared to perhaps it is the pain mm-hmm. compared to perhaps there's not one wrong or right. I just think it's an interesting vantage or perspective. You know, I think sometimes people can become almost like defensive of their pain and they don't yeah, even realize don't even realize it. Yeah, I've seen that. You know, like who would I be without my pain? Probably less in pain version of yourself. Yeah, yeah. But I so so an example of that would say for a person that that has a tendency of placing themselves in victimized positions. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why do you keep on finding that abusive partner? Or why do you mm-hmm. keep on doing that thing that's hurting you? Like you you know, you have all the information of the entire universe in your pocket it's called a cell phone (laughs) any answer that you possibly need you know outside of knowledge but any information-based answer you possibly could need just type it in and the answer's there but yet you still do the thing where you're flogging yourself and you're like back into that position so there comes an interesting place of um, i'm kind of creating a new channel this is still in the in the one the meta lane of the, the god lane of perception and such but uh, th- that's just an interesting idea in general, just to kind of come to terms with in in myself of like, is there any pains or disruptions or or kind of like chaos ease in myself mm-hmm. that I unknowingly am hanging on to because I don't know who I'd be without that. Hmm. And something that you mentioned with the thank God, I think that's another interesting word that we can throw around and everyone just kind of nods their head like, oh yeah, thank God, cool, sweet. It's like, what, what, what do you mean? Like, we, it we just sounds really God. weird if I thank, thank the universal collective energy for creating the molecular process that let me sensate this. Well, that's your God, which is you also know? a story. You know, that's not definitive. Like, ah, oh, okay, cool. Now we've unpacked. This is the objective God. You know, but a person that, ha- that comes from a place of feeling like there is a knowing, mm-hmm. that can be like an analgesic. You know, so if you have a sensation, so an example of, of, of this, just to back it up, would, would be a person that feels like they have control of their usage of um, anesthetics or usage of, of painkillers, opiates mm-hmm. in, in, in hospitals. Mm-hmm. If you have control, from what I've read, if you have control of that, you like, here's your little clicker. Like whenever you feel a thing, like you just hit it, like we trust you. That person will use the clicker less and need less pain medication perceived because that's autonomy. Because that, that that perceived autonomy and that that's like okay, cool. Like okay, mm-hmm. I felt wildly out of control. Mm-hmm. Now I have this button, and I'm like, okay, if something bad happens, I know what to do. I, I hit the button. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, it's like, oh, I don't really need the button so much. But when I didn't have the button, then I'm like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I need the button. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's like a, it's a human experience that I think we all share in one way or another with certain things is feel, you know, com- that's comfort. You're basically a metaphor for comfort, mm. which could, but be, I don't know enough. God for some people. I don't know enough and I don't feel one way or the other intensively enough. Like in mechanics and health, I have my lane. I know where I sit. I know what I believe I know what makes sense and I know it doesn't make sense. It's convenient because you can see it. You can measure it. You can measure leverage. Cool. It didn't blow your back out. You deadlifted, you know, 95 more pounds. Sure. Like that seemed like that worked. In the esoteric, in the the God talk and all that, I would consider myself a an observer. I'm watching and just, I'm not trying to figure it out. I just genuinely feel lucky to be here and to be feeling these things and watching these things through these weird senses. And I'm not trying to figure it out. I'm trying to make the best of it as I go and to feel the least pain and to experience the most strength and pleasure, not pleasure, but like satisfaction, I think is probably the better term. 
And I find that when I try to explain why, I just get lost. I just get lost. I don't know why. I don't, I don't feel like an over intensive desire to know why, almost like we're not allowed to. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to just kind of go with it and experience life as best we can, try to be a good part of life as best we can. And the moment I try to define it, I just get confused, man. Well, sometimes I think it's hard to read, to use another cliche metaphor, but to read the ingredients from inside the jar. And so from the perception of or, or exploration of like, what is God? You know, perhaps God is the entirety of everything that ever is, never was, and which includes you. And you're inside of the jar. And so to be able to pull yourself outside and say, aha, there's objective reality, like this is the God, mm -hmm. might be almost like it's yeah, a bit it's much. Like, might be much. A bit much. Yeah. But <laughs> the stories that the stories that we tell ourselves have impact is what I'm getting at. I mean, they're they're kind of all we have. That's our experience. Your your story is what you've experienced. And the conclusions you've kind of inadvertently come to or learned to come to from that experience. That's why it's so easy to get out of pain because it's a different story that you have to tell yourself on repeat until it becomes your story. Mm. And it's not like you're telling yourself in your brain, you're, you're showing yourself, you're experiencing it until it becomes your experience. Getting out of a bad relationship into a good relationship or just out of a bad relationship into a good relationship with yourself, it's just a new pattern. It's the same kind of thing. A new friendship is a new pattern. Like everything is like a pattern and a relationship and a communication, just like the synapse from the nerve to the muscle to the, like, Everything is a communication and the more hindrance, or sometimes in my opinion, hindrance can be trying to figure it out. The more you do that, the less you experience sensation and the more you're trying to change that experience. I want to take a moment and share one of my favorite tools in my home. I am sitting on it right now. It is warming my butt. It is boosting my circulation and uh, it's making me feel really good. It is the higher dose infrared and PEMF mat. What I love about this thing is essentially it's like sitting on a warm rock and that's because it literally is a warm rock. It's laced with amethyst crystals, also tourmaline crystals, as well as a layer of charcoal and clay and is emitting not just infrared, but you also have the option to turn on the PEMF option. So that's pulsed electromagnetic frequencies. All of this is supportive with circulation, with tissue repair, tissue regeneration, better sleep, mood, and it's just great. I love resting on this thing. I record all my podcast introductions on this thing. I record my podcast interviews if they're remote on here, and I get up feeling like my joints feel more mobile. I feel lighter. I feel more well-rested, and it's just cool. I have it sitting out in the middle of my living room on the rug, and so whenever people come over, they're invited to sit down on the mat, and I love it. People love it. I think you guys are going to dig it as well. If you want to get yourself a discount on the mat, a 15% discount, you can go to higherdose.com slash align. That is higher, H-I-G-H-E-R, dose, D-O-S-E, dot com slash align for a 15% discount. If you do not love this mat, get your money back. No questions asked. I think you guys are going to absolutely dig it. Jump over to higherdose.com slash align for a 15% discount. I want to take a moment and share something that has been invaluable for my sleep that is utilizing Qualia Nights formula. I absolutely love this stuff. What I like about it particularly is it enhances my dreams in a really strange, almost miraculous way. Uh, my clarity, depth, 
of the dreams. It feels almost like I'm living a novel with them. I can't guarantee that's gonna be the case with everybody, but I do have friends who have had that experience as well. And it's very strange. Uh, a part of why that is, is it contains 25 of the most essential ingredients on earth for optimal support your sleep cycles, such as reishi mushrooms, ashwagandha, hawthorn, saffron, and 20 other research-backed ingredients in one serving for maximum support of your sleep cycle. Wake up feeling as recharged, refreshed, and energized as you have in years. If you want to try it yourself and you're a first-time buyer, you'll get 50% off, which is ridiculous, and also a 100-day money-back guarantee. If you use the Align code at checkout, you will also get an extra 15% off. So jump over to Neuro hacker.com that is spelled n-e-u-r-o-h-a-c-k-e-r.com and use the align code for an additional 15 percent off of your purchase with a 100 day money back guarantee if this stuff does not knock your socks off then get your money back neurohacker.com use align code at checkout for a discount if a person is in deep consternation or confusion of life things relationships business or another example as far as so pain is pretty ubiquitous you know 80 percent of people are going to experience back pain in their in their lifetime you know a good chunk of that's going to be a chronic thing that it just like oh, it's just who i am mm -hmm. i guess within that it can be oh i had a thread it was something i was excited about but now it now it disappeared oh well that's okay my story my story is vanquished but so that that story that we have of our pain can become who we are the thing that i think is interesting with the other lane that's more objective and measurable and quantifiable and all that stuff is the the movement lane so there's this oh is the communication part is what i was, is what i want to get at so we have if we, if there's a if there's a, a a dishonesty within ourselves you know or, or or a sensation of contraction a sensation of fear a sensation of re resistance there's an internal dialogue that's not complete like your internal narrative it's it's cloudy it's chaotic it's <laughs> well it's it's always shifting but mm -hmm. it could be cloudy it could be murky the sensation of, of feeling like oh like even if you don't actually know what's going on the story or belief that you do have everything under control is incredibly gratifying and incredibly relieving it's usually wrong sure but it can be incredibly <laughs> gratifying and relieving you know a lot of people it's i i think this is another statistic that i don't know the, the details of it but i think like like married people are married and and are religious like they have a god they tend to live longer and they have like generally like baseline you know happier yeah. lives it's tough to, to maybe measure happiness but there's so people that are committed like, yeah it's more of a commitment it's not like a belief it's like a commitment yeah so I'm all committed to my partner right I'm committed to my god I'm right i just my... i just chose yeah you know i don't know if it was right or wrong but i just chose and i'm committed yeah here i am boom i i chose a lane so now i can start to to surrender en engage my energy in this lane just, i'm just gonna see what happens in this lane yeah. whereas before i just had a bunch of cacophonous lanes and that's a part of developing an idea and 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 kudos to someone that is open to that journey of having a whole bunch of lanes and saying, you know, I don't really know. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't just commit a lane when I was 16, you know, marry the girl and get the picket fence and do the thing. Like kudos to that person as well. They're just different styles There's of a life. a lot of ways to live. A lot of ways to do it. Yeah. But what, what I was getting at, the original idea was if there is a, a miscommunication or a cacophony in our internal narrative of what's going on, um, I think that that can create well one it has a there's there's a a physical musculoskeletal postural correlate to that mm -hmm. a person that is stressed a person that is confused a person that is just spinning in their head oh i don't know what to do i don't know what to do you can see that yeah 
there's going to be tension in the job. If there's more of a panic type thing and maybe traps are going to start to engage, maybe shoulders will start to immediately rotate, it'd be a defensive position, or if maybe their breath will shorten. If they're in their 60s or 70s or 80s, maybe they have formed a drastic kyphosis that exaggerates what they've been feeling for their oh, yeah. whole lives. Oh, and you dude, start to the see these. so cool. It's a story, yeah. man. It can be. It it's certainly can be. Yeah, it can be. But some people are really masking too. Like it's, it, people are remarkable. Um, the more that I've seen people in extreme pain you can't mask it you can't you have to get out of it they're willing to let somebody operate on them a hundred times they're willing to take whatever is needed to get out of it and that pressure can lead to really bad decisions that can lead you to some pretty negative outcomes so the first thing for any of these things so whether you're trying to figure out the the expanse of the universe mm. or whether you're trying to understand why the hell my right foot hurts so whatever it is, you know, yep. if you can, if you can get to it from a place of acceptance and calmness, I, I gave a Ted talk years ago. And in that I said, the way we, it's not that we're in pain. It's that the way we react to pain mm. is kind of misaligned. It's, it's not appropriate. Mm. We're reacting to mild chronic pains with the severity of major severe pains. And we're using chemistries that are for major severe pains to mitigate minor chronic pains that are hurting us but they're not harming us. Those are two very different things. Mm. Hurting can hurt like hell and it can be minimally, if not harmful at all. It can just be painful. Whereas sometimes things that don't hurt us or things that we mask can be truly harming us. Sometimes that back pain that you're trying to block is a cancerous lesion. Sure. Sometimes it's an ischemic, a, uh, avascular necrosis, which I've I've probably had 10 to 12 patients in my career that had legitimate, significant avascular necrosis. And if they didn't get surgeries, they probably would have lost the limb down the line. Um, sometimes you really need to get those things. You know, like sure. there's certain, sometimes you cannot think your way out of it and you're actually harming yourself to not feel. Yep. So somatosensation is one of the most important skills in the world, which is like, well, here's what my body is doing and feeling and sensing right now. And here's the most accurate, the most accurate translation of that sense I can possibly understand. So for those people listening that are in pain, that are, that are trying to figure this out, that are trying to improve the next couple decades of their life, you have to improve your sensation of pain. Don't avoid your sensation of pain. Improve it. Understand it. Take the anti-inflammatories but make them natural. Find bromelain. Take high dosages of fish oils, three, 5,000 milligrams a day at minimum. Take CBD oils for two to three weeks before you judge whether or not they're working for you. Keep a diary of your pain when you're taking these things every day where you only write one sentence that describes your pain that day while you're taking these things. Keep a one sentence a day diary for three weeks to a month. Use that to understand what you're feeling. And then from there, if you're, I mean, I'm talking for people that have been in pain for 10 years, 20 years. This is, this is why people kill themselves. This is why people do these different things. Like you're just, you're miserable after a while and nothing's getting better and you get very frustrated. For those people, I'm begging you, just listen to your body, not in the arbitrary hippy dippy way. Turn off the lights, don't drink water and electrolytes, if anything, maybe even fast for a day or two. Get the communication within your body down so that you can hear and feel your pain. If you're willing, if you're over 25, 26 years old, smoke a little pot, have an edible, whatever, a small one. I'm talking two milligrams THD the first couple of times. Why do you say over 25, 26? Because you shouldn't brain have that shit stuff. when you're young. Your brain's really? still developed. Yeah, you shouldn't have that shit when I you're young. I kind of am grateful I had some of that stuff. Although I don't know. How yeah, old were you when no you had it? I mean, it's not. Oh, it's young. But, 12, but 13. Were you smoking pot every day at 12, 13? 
probably when I was like 14, 15. Yeah, you probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, what I tell people, and it's a very, it's not gonna, it's not gonna kill you. And you obviously have a very, you're a motivated guy. You're doing stuff, you're working. The detriment to that is that you're kind of developing your sense of self at those ages. And herb, cannabis can really, can make you feel a little cooler than you are. It can make you feel a little smarter than you are. It can make you feel a little more mellow than you are. Don't you think like the the, the present educational system, like that's a psychedelic in a way, like that's molding our mind. It's not. It, oh, it, come it on. is. You it's just, molding you just our, got into the endogenous cannabinoid yeah, system. It's like we, are, also, we are drugs in a sense. But I also went through public education and I became a doctor and I went through college and I went through all these things and I suck at school and I hate school. I fucking hate it. 28 years of my life where I was so stressed out, but I became who I became. Mm. I believe deeply in school because you're supposed to be frustrated a little bit when you're young. You're supposed to understand how to get through those frustrations. You're supposed to be able to deal with things you don't want to do, but you still have to do. You're supposed to understand things that are just for the fucking sake of understanding them to help you understand culture and to help you relate to other people that understand those same pieces of culture. Do you have to go through all of the schooling to get that? No, you can play competitive sports. You can play team sports. You can do musical classes. You can do all sorts of clubs. You can do all sorts of things. But most kids that get into substances too young, don't form the versions of themselves I think they could be. Hmm. And most people that never get into substances don't form the versions of themselves that they might be able to be. Yeah. There's a buffer. I'm really glad I didn't start smoking pot until I was in graduate school. Because if I did, I would not have gotten to graduate school. No chance. It diminishes motivation to a degree, and we have to understand that. I don't agree with that. I think there's a, there's a subjective that's a subjective relationship that you've had that's not re- relatable to every person. Fair. I mean, you you could look at some of the best jujitsu players, some of the best athletes in the world. Like some of the the greatest innovations and just people that I know in the world could largely attribute their deep to use the t- same word you used association that they've gained as a product of using certain substances such as cannabis. I don't care to be an advocate for cannabis or not. The absoluteness of that, I would I would push back and and also not be attached to my pushback. That's totally fine. Yeah. I am a huge advocate of <laughs> cannabis and I push cannabis hard. Yeah. I wrote a book that describes the tremendous benefits of that plant and I believe deeply in it. But I also just as deeply, intensely believe that our body gives us everything we need when we're young, unless we're epileptic or some other neurological disorder, in which case you do sometimes need myelin support. You do sometimes need herb. You do need cannabinoids because it can help you with seizure disorders. It can help you with neuroprotective processes. Uh, it can help you with endocrine tumors. However, In general, herb does decrease motivation in many people, unless you're using it for something. And most kids that use it are not using it for anything other than dissociating from the challenges of being a kid and playing around and screwing around. And that's why I believe that. For the jujitsu player, for the surfer, for the athlete, for the musician, for the person using it to adapt towards patterns better, cleaner, harder, more enjoyably, I'm I'm all in. Mm. I'm there with you 100%. In fact, I'll be there with you smoking it. Mm. However. I vaporize it. Great. Whatever it is. <laughs> ingest it. Oils, tinctures. I don't care. I love, I love that it's becoming more and more and more prevalent. I've had a 15-year, very steady relationship with cannabis, and I'm 41 years old now, and I would never change it for the world. I really deeply believe most people should not start it until they're in their mid to late 20s. I very deeply believe everybody should have tried it, especially if they have symptoms of different kinds by the time they're in their 40s. Mm. You ask me my questions on alcohol, I don't think anybody should drink all that often. It's crazy. 
you ask me my questions on stimulants, uh, I don't really like stimulants very much. It's not for me. Yeah. You ask me questions on psychedelics, man. I love the idea of microdosing mushrooms a little bit, but I am not for chemistry. I'm not a chemical person. To me, plants like cannabis and mushrooms are incredibly powerful offerings from well, the well that's where i that's where i would part and and I, I think you would probably even part from that because i think you are very much from chemistry by you waking up you're for chemistry by you getting sunlight exposed to your eyes you're for chemistry by you breathing in certain not man-made chemistry that's made in a lab to mimic yeah but the ones that you just have. you just suggest aren't man-made you, you no, you're I, walking no, no, out no. for a field with your bros and suddenly you find a cow patty and you're like oh what would happen to me ate that that's like that's like stoned ape theory which isn't necessarily accurate and terence mckenna says a lot of wild things but the idea that the synaptic potentiation neuroplasticity that manifests as a product of using these alkaloids could lead to innovations in our thoughts and perspectives mm -hmm. and maybe take us from a place where we thought the whole entire world was collapsing on us and against us and suddenly realize like oh no like maybe there's more to that you yeah, know I'm all for those plants and those things. What I'm saying when I say chemistry is LSD, mm. is ketamine, is it gets tricky. It's it's to a, it's things that I don't feel are and look, look, I'm wrong a lot of the time. By the way, me too. You know, like <laughs> the only thing I should really have any opinion on in my life is biomechanics because it's what I truly live in mm -hmm. and and exist in that thought process, and it's the only place that I have any real sound knowledge. But in this, I just feel like my personal experience, this is N1, this is, this is my personal experience. Mm -hmm. The times that I've, the time that I tried LSD, I thought to myself, I have a very foreign substance in my body right now. Yeah, I'm not into this. Yeah, This doesn't feel natural. This doesn't feel right. I don't feel like I'm gonna get some performance enhancement mentally, physically, anything from this. I feel like I'm gonna get through this for the next fucking 12 hours and then I'm never gonna do this again. Mm -hmm. It just, it, I'm not a sub, I'm not a, I feel that the stuff that comes from the earth is kind of made for us. And we have reactions that are almost on par with a natural reaction. Whereas the things that are made very often by human beings and even, I mean, put, put a, uh, what's the, the, um, cannibal or whatever the there's their mar marinol marinol is the synthetic cannabinoid they're making. Why, you know, like why screw it up? Right. Yeah, so and funny. that's how I feel about most chemical. When I say chemical, I mean like, made in a lab trying to mimic something that is endogenous in us or nature that's kind of what i'm talking about yeah i didn't yeah i didn't mean to get into to an uh, a a argument of, yeah. of whether we should or shouldn't be using well it's the same substances but it's the same reason to not take pain pills versus taking a natural anti-inflammatory it's like yeah the pain pill is going to work it, it might work too well <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> like those things work but they're they're strong yeah. very powerful well it's always going to be and when you when you talk to and we'll get back on track so that was so that the two cogent lanes which right as i said i was going to maintain a cogent lane i kind of spun we off, spun off, <laughs> spun off in the woods that's typically what happens when i say oh, we're going to keep things structured and linear i just like you know spin out in entropy um but so the other lane so that so that lane just to put a bow on that and put that in a box in a container and kind of set this down that would be the the story lane and the perspective and the and the self-narrative and the sensation or illusion of control and you know the sensation mm -hmm. of like oh i got this mm -hmm. you know and that's like like paint example with like if you're into you know bds and m bds and m bds and m yeah and you get spanked it's like oh yeah mm -hmm. give me that spank like give me that pain compared to if you know I walked over to you and spanked you right now. 
you'd be like, hey man, ah. you don't know my reaction. You know, you might be into it. But in general, if I just walked up behind, if I just this. walked, if I walked up behind said person, you're with your girlfriend, she's like, you know, baking cookies or something. I'm not a male chauvinist, I promise. But you know, let's say she's she's baking some cookies and you come and give her that exact same spank, it's a deeply different felt experience. Yeah. You know, and so that 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 narrative aspect, yeah. I think, is invaluable to have on the table. And then the other aspect that's important, the other cogent lane, would be the movement component. And that's an interesting thing because most uh, kind of still coming back into story a bit because you know ultimately everything does. Um, but it's very difficult to link specific musculoskeletal orientation orientation or arrangement to pain. It's very difficult to say, ah, like uh, that knee, that spinal disc, that, you know, that, oh, the knee is valgus or the, you know, the feet are flat yeah. in quotation, whatever. It's like, certainly chronic. oh, I know that's going to, that's pain, right? Pain? Certainly chronic. Oftentimes, yes. But it's, but when you, and I have this all written out, I don't remember the specifics of it now. I could, you know, I can maybe share it on here in the, the intro or show notes, but there's a, a ton of research relating imaging to, okay, here is a knee vertebral disc you know mm -hmm. whatever that all signs would point to this is this is you know this don't look right and but they're fine but they're great yeah, yeah. you know and that's the same thing that with with like baseball pitchers i think with, with most baseball pitchers i think there was a specific research with this as well they were taking images of shoulders it's like we could find a reason to conduct a surgery a surgical intervention in most of these baseball pitchers arms but they're the the they're highest yeah. athlete on the planet for this, for this activity. And it's like, oh, like, ooh. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, when it's, you know, fibromyalgia or there's, you know, endless incidences where it's like, dude, you look fine. Mm -hmm. I think you might be crazy. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, well, that's that's not supportive. Yeah. It's all in your head, man. It's like, oh, God. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting to be able to pinpoint like pain is just it's just a very slippery subject that I think is really interesting. But you just thing, need options. But the thing that that is interesting and is consistent is is movement across the board seems to help. There's the greatest statement in medical literature, basically, is the idea that mechanoreception movement blocks nociception. Yeah, gate, gate theory. Yeah. Movement blocks the sensation of movement, the energy it requires, the glycogen from the brain, the perceived sensation that the nervous system takes up through the spine from the point of pain to the brain is not as strong as the outgoing down the spinal column, through the brain, through the spinal cord, through the nerve roots, to the appendages, through the core, through stabilization. That the amount of pieces of the puzzle that have to be lined up for any movement to occur is greater than the amount of glycogen it requires for a pain message to get to the brain at mm. the same time. So mechanoreception, movement, genuinely competes with the messaging of pain. Yep. Good movement works even better. Yep. Well, so so then good movement, it, it's like the, this might not be a necessary analogy, but the idea that ever, if you're building a house, every brick matters, you know, yeah. and that's the, you know, the basis of the, the, you know, the book that I did and most things is like, how do we make it so that your whole day, you at least have the resources to understand how to lay bricks and be aware that every moment throughout the day truly is an opportunity and you are always moving. Even if you're completely dead still, still you are moving, still breathing still breathing your, your cells your blood like you know like like, like you you might be moving more than ever if you, you might put a be microphone in there you'd be surprised how loud it was yeah well or, or like a like a chess player they're just sitting there stoic just, yeah. but they're burning thousands of calories 
It's like they are moving. Well, they're glycogen, brain tissue. It yeah. burns fat and it's, it's like a very caloric, heavy process to think clearly, mm-hmm. especially strategically, especially in flow, you know? So thinking well and properly is a very energetic demand. Um, movement works. It will not always work and it will not work forever unless you practice it. You know what I mean? Like you can't move once and then you're out of pain. While you're moving, you can very likely get yourself out of pain. And the more you practice that process, the better you're going to get at it, the faster it's going to happen, the longer it's going to last you. Mm. But it's a skill. You got to learn that skill. Everybody's got to learn that skill. I don't care how old you are. You have to know how to get yourself feeling a little better. So what are, so you, so you laid out a few beautiful examples to get a person from reactionary, you know, they're, they're, they're panicking, trying Mm -hmm. to keep themselves from drowning Mm -hmm. level of, of stress that could induce all sorts of sensations even, you know, beyond maybe you have repressed pain. That's even worse than somebody's experiencing pain. Mm -hmm. That's something that, that me working. So my, my, a major aspect of my background is manual therapy and mm-hmm. rolfing and visceral manipulation and cranial sacral and different forms of like hands-on manual therapy. And in that, uh, when someone would come in and suggest that they, they just feel like fine, mm-hmm. you know, like their wife, you know, really wanted to see me or something. And they're like, Oh, like everything's pretty fine. You know, I'm like pretty good. And I'm like, okay, like, cool. I-, I love that for you. I'm so glad. Oftentimes that person actually would be in like the, the most dire straits because they're just so disconnected. So they had all these signals, you know, it's kind of, again, it comes back to relationship and everything comes back to relationship and communication, including your relationships and your communication. Yeah. And so you, there could be many a signal that has been expressing for, you know, some amount of time. And it just got, it just got the indication that like, you're not going to address this. Mm-hmm. I'll just stuff this down. Or it's going to start rising up a little higher. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe I'll come back in yeah. 10 years, 20 years, you know, whatever. Yeah. And be something that like, Oh, it's like now you have to address this now it's and major. you're so far behind the eight ball that it's like, now we need intervention. Yeah, now it's really major. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a question with that. No, it's, it's an observation <laughs> that's very accurate. And that's what you're describing as the human experience where you just, you don't really know what's going to get you. And you can, the best thing you can do is just try to do things that make you feel well and try to stay as healthy as you can with the understanding that you're trying, you're doing your best. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's going to get there. All of us are going to die at some point. And your, your goal is to understand yourself, control yourself, and maintain yourself as well as you're able to through that process. Mm. And in such a way that it doesn't really harm the people around you. And actually, if you're really nailing it, it helps the people around you. Yeah. That's, that's really scoring. So it's, you're capable of doing it. Um, in my own personal life, I do it through pain management. I do it through eating in a way that helps my mood instead of hurts my mood. You know, When I'm feeling stressed out, I don't let the stress dominate me. And if I have to go take a toke, I'm going to take a toke because I'd rather not have stress dominate me and make good decisions than have stress dominate me and not make good decisions. Mm-hmm. And that's been a very ongoing thing in my life, especially the past you know decade, decade and a half, that has allowed me to not only get out of pain, but to teach people how to approach pain from a friendly place yeah. and to create palliative positions so that instead of trying to coach them through the pain, I can put them in a position of stability and allow them to feel stable and then make the decisions and then understand what's happening and then make the next choices and the next movements. Yeah. And that's really what it's all about, is understanding that each of us is unstable in myriad ways, from mental to physical, and finding as many stability features that are naturally available to us to pull in, so that no matter how far off we get, we have a return course. We have the steps that are needed, physical, mental, whatever. We understand that this ain't the first time somebody's been off. People have really put a lot of effort into understanding how to return to center 
Yeah. Maybe I should start paying attention to what some other people have done. Yeah. There yeah. is, we'll, we'll finish up on a, a final question uh, that's in relation to the previous one of, of how do we get ourselves, you know, back back into to a non-reactionary state and before that question the thing that something that i i was actually listening to a past podcast i did with zach bush and he mentioned mm -hmm. the second law of thermodynamics being I'll probably butcher this people that are you know nerds about this were like wrong but something along the lines of a uh, second law being that system isolated systems will veer towards greater levels of entropy and disorganization which is so interesting and so musculoskeletal, like so kinesiological. Yeah, that's why you got to connect dots. It's so cool. I'm like, I'm like, ah, like that's, it's yeah. like it all connects. Yeah. And so that's an that's, interesting thing when, when you have some aspect of yourself that's disconnected from the whole, which is going to go further. <laughs> it goes further and it loses yeah. power. It loses connection. It loses control. It leads to injury. It leads to instability. And it's, you know, it makes you a less effective athlete, less effective father, mother, whatever. Everything. And, so that's an interesting thing of like coming back to reorienting um, or organizing around your axial skeleton, making sure that that's, that system is in order. And then from there, moving out into the appendicular and your mm -hmm. arms and legs and et cetera. So I thought that was interesting. But then the, the question uh, would be, do you have perhaps like three top movement-based tips for people to start to address, maybe not even necessarily pain per se, but just like low-hanging fruit it would be wise for people to start to change these yeah. postural patterns of their lives. Hope you guys have dug this conversation. If you would like to hear Dr. Eric's response to this question, you can jump over to alignpodcast.com slash community. It is absolutely free to join. It is a place where we can communicate with each other and also share content that we are not sharing anywhere else. So jump over to alignpodcast.com slash community to learn more. What do you think of injuries in chiropractic? You don't see as many as you think you would, mm. but you do see some. Mm. Most people that go to chiropractors have a very powerful experience, especially if they continue going to one that gets to learn their body. Forces are forces. There are people that do get injured. In fact, one of my patients, students, Christina, mom of four, she had a chiropractor save her life that would have killed her. If this chiropractor would have adjusted her neck for her complaints, he would have killed her at that point moment she would have died on his table well wow. she had a dissociated c1 and c2 she had not realized it but she did not have what's called a dens which is like the second cervical vertebra i'm sorry the first cervical vertebra kind of sits atop a very stabilizing feature and certain people don't have that yeah wow and she had fractured hers without realizing it wow. in an old injury and she had a very unstable c1 c2 and a typical chiropractic adjustment would have severed the arteries at her at the base of her skull the vertebral basal arteries very luckily she went to a chiropractor who got his hands on her and said this doesn't feel right we got to x-ray this wow he x-rayed it and he goes whoa look at this you need to go to the hospital now this second he drove her to the hospital i believe he either accompanied her to the hospital or drove her to the hospital she had immediate surgery on her neck to stabilize it she's not the only one hmm. that shouldn't have her neck adjusted in a rotational capacity that's my general rule with chiropractic is is crack hips thoracic spine like have at it yeah. I'm, I'm good on the neck ones for for me yeah uh some of my favorite adjustments i've ever received are very good cervical adjustments sure especially yeah, yeah. those with a little bit of attraction with mm -hmm. it attraction with the adjustment yeah 
the skill of chiropractic is a skill that needs to be worked on every day. And a very good chiropractor is an extraordinary doctor and can help a lot of people. The act of manipulating the spine in, is in and of itself legitimately good and bad. You can harm a spine. It ain't easy to do. You have to almost, you don't have to be trying, but you have to be pretty careless to do it. You, you have to not take into account any of the other skills you learned as a doctor if you're going to hurt somebody's spine, because you have to push into an area that's already inflamed, one. You have to take a range of motion beyond its natural range of motion, two. You have to do it with enough force to stop the body's natural reaction to block a joint, and you have to do it with follow-through in addition, whether it be the low back, the mid back, the upper back, the neck. You have to do it with a tremendous amount of force, and you, you kind of have to be trying to hurt somebody or being extremely irresponsible. But can it happen? Absolutely, 100%. Now, here's the thing. It is not going to happen with the frequency, severity, intensity as medical prescriptions gone awry, as surgical sure. procedures gone awry, yeah. as punctures, uh, epidurals, different things like that, spinal blocks, nerve blocks gone awry. That's what we have to compare it to because we're not in a vacuum. We're not saying, should the human body go through chiropractic care? We're saying, should the human body in distress go through the conventional medical the less invasive kind of pharmaceutical medical or the less invasive natural medical or kind of the forced alignment manipulation medical. Each of them has their downfalls. Each of them has their places where they work better and worse. And that's, that's my take on the whole thing. Can we injure people? 100%. Yes, we can. Will it happen frequently? No. You can look up the one in millions of adjustments that injuries do occur in. It's, it's extremely rare. In, in medical sciences, it's extremely rare compared to other modalities. Yeah. But it's fucking scary and it's forceful and it feels unnatural sometimes and you shouldn't get it from somebody that's decent. You should get it from somebody that's great. Yeah. That's my take on it. Was that, was those, those three movement cues said cervical? The first one was cervical lift. And then you said you don't like the adjustments. And then you got it. We got into that Y strap yeah. contraction. So the other, the other one was sitting on the sit, sit bones. bones, butt feet, feet, butt lifting the weight of the head off of the skull. Yeah. And then the other one was when you're moving your shoulders, making sure that the shoulder blade is hugging the rib cage and that the neck remains long as you go through those ranges, shoulder flexions and extensions. Great. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. I really greatly enjoyed this conversation. It was a pleasure. It's always fun, man. It's fun talking to you. Yeah. And yeah. good and congrats on kind of where you've where you've gone with all this too. Likewise. Cool. So your book just came out in your your latest book just came out in January. Yeah. Can you give a brief synopsis of like sure. who's the book for, what's it about, like who, who should be grabbing that? The book is for patients in pain. No two ways about it. This book was written for people who are looking to get out of chronic pain or autoimmune disorders that are looking to have a more natural approach that includes heat therapies, breath therapies, postural therapies, the option of cannabis therapy, or the understanding of how to stimulate the endogenous cannabinoid system more on your own so that your body can kind of get the benefits of it. That's the book. The book is called Foundations of Health. It's a three-part book. Movement, heat, cannabinoids. Love three parts. Yeah, very simple. That's jujitsu. Yeah, I, I, I'm still, I haven't learned all of them yet. Three isn't everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm enjoying learning it. I really like learning. Jujitsu has been one of the most fun things I've ever taken on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Social media? At Foundation Training on Instagram, at Foundation Training on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, I think that's all we do. 
Great. And then people jump over to the Align Podcast YouTube channel, and it may or may not go on the, the foundation. Channel, if you if you well. give me the the stuff, I'll put it up on our channel for Great. sure. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So jump over to either of those channels, and um, we will have a breakdown about maybe like 10, 15 minute breakdown of the founder of the Gorilla Pose, Gr- Gorilla Lift and Windmill, Gorilla Lift and Windmill. All and, of those are, are fantastic. Yeah. I'd recommend them. I think they're amazing things to implement to your life. And that's it. That's all. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Over and out. Bye guys dug that conversation once again i want to invite you to check out the align community where you can find the response to dr eric's question and also a ton more content that will only be shared in the align community which is found at alignpodcast.com slash community over there we will be sharing ideas with each other uh, we'll be able to ask questions we'll be able to create accountability with each other and essentially it's just a a place for us to be able to connect actually together as opposed to this just being a one-way street listening to the podcast or watching instagram or youtube so that's over at alignpodcast.com community it is completely free and i think you guys are going to dig it thank you once again to anyone who leaves reviews on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to this thank you for sharing this with your friends thank you for implementing the information Thank you for tagging myself at Align Podcast on Instagram and Dr. Goodman at Foundation Training on Instagram. If there's any parts of this that you like, that is it. That is all. Appreciate you all. Mucho. I'll see you next week.